Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comments section of my Q&A videos or send to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. As I've been doing for the last few weeks, we hit, um, I wanted to acknowledge my latest Patreon supporters because, um, you know, we hit a real big target. I set a goal when I first started doing Patreon to um, hit a certain target, and when that target was hit, to turn this show, the Critical Q&A show, into not only a video that I do every week, but also an audio podcast. And so now we've hit that target. So now it's on me to do that. And so I have begun the work to do that. And actually what I'm gonna do is, I went back to the beginning, number show number one, and I've downloaded all of those and converted them to audio files. And I will be uploading all of those to my um, MN Critical Thinking uh, website so that um, they can all go out as audio podcasts, and that should be happening within this next week or so. I will keep you guys up to date on that. So if you prefer to listen to the show as a podcast rather than watch it here on YouTube, that's okay. And uh, that will now be an option for you. And so you'll be able to subscribe to it, and I'm going to put it over on iTunes and that sort of thing. So I just need to get all that work done to uh, get it approved by Apple and have that happen. So as I've been doing for the last couple of weeks, I just want to acknowledge the guys who actually pushed this over the edge. Um, this last week, that was Kat Wilhite, Klaus Olson, Zolt Horvath, Paul Phillips. Um, Chris bumped up uh, her amount uh, every week, which was awesome. Chi Chalker uh, signed up on board. Welcome. very, uh, Thank you very much. And Mary Zick. And also, Mummy Sandra bumped up her um, amount every week as well. So anyway, just wanted to very much thank you guys for that. And um, still, you know, a long way to, to still, <laughs> the sky's the limit here. And I am very interested, by the way, in um, any comments or feedback anybody might have as to what the next level should be and uh, what the next plateau should be because... Um, I've asked some of my Patreon supporters sometimes, and, and some of them are really into communicating, and some of them are just, nah, Chris, you're doing just great. You just kind of keep doing what you're doing, and we're fine with everything you're doing. And if that's the case, totally fine, but I'd like to set another plateau, and I'd like to get some feedback from you guys on what you might like to see as, as what might be a, a good uh, plateau to set for a next goal. All right, that all being said, let's go ahead and get on with your questions now. Nia Nillicat. So Scientologists believe that they have lived millions of lives before and done everything before, like be in a high management person in, a, in the Sea Org, even if they still are teenagers. How do they then explain away that they have not cleared the planet a few million lives ago then, since everyone already knows everything? And how did Hubbard explain away that he just now figured out how to save the world? I mean, would he not be a pretty lousy Thetan to be that late in the game? Okay, well, kind of an interesting question, so I thought I would sort of address this um, as to what Scientologists think about, you know, past life knowledge and things like that. Um, there is, Hubbard put out the idea, uh, first off in Scientology, that Scientology's never existed before in all of the trillions of years of existence of, uh, you know, life here in the, in the physical universe and, and life thetanically going all the way back to the theta universe. Um, so, so this is new. Sci Hubbard said that Scientology was the only new thing in the entire universe. Now, he did also say that there have been earlier attempts 
in the far distant past to uh, rehabilitate or help or um, you know give some sort of therapy to thetans uh, you know who are stuck in the physical universe who are stuck you know making pictures of everything that they see here and experience right uh, actually that just reminds me maybe I should make a point about this because um, I don't think I've ever mentioned this before but um, Hubbard one of the one of the claims that Hubbard made as to why uh, thetans or spiritual beings are so screwed up is because they've been convinced that sensation and the, the, the living in the physical universe, right, that, that is not a native state for a thetan. Thetans come from some other place that doesn't have matter, energy, space, and time. This whole universe is a, is a, is a playground for thetans or a place that they have come into to experience sensation and live these lives. And originally, there weren't even bodies. They were just playing around with, you know, throwing planets around and stuff. I don't even know. But, um, but anyway, he said that, uh, that the thing that keeps thetans so involved in the physical universe and that, and that, that they are uh, become addicted to, in a way, is, the, is sensation, right? Is the, is the idea of experiencing life through a body and being able to feel and hear and touch and sense things that way. Uh, because that's not how thetans actually normally act and how they experience things. Hubbard talks about the fact that a thetan will know about something or experience something by pervading it and just being it, which is a little bit of a different thing than touching it and feeling it and, and seeing it and, and smelling it and tasting it. So, um, so he said that thetans get kind of addicted to this and they also are making mental image pictures all the time of what's going on around them. And those pictures are three-dimensional memories, um, you know, that you can recall. And they, ex and they have all the recordings of all the perceptions that the Thetan is experiencing uh, through a body or, or otherwise. So they get addicted to these pictures also. And these pictures become really important, these memories, maybe as a better way of putting it. Um, and so, uh, so he said that one of the earlier forms of therapy for thetans in this physical universe was for another thetan to come along and uh, just take the pictures away from them, right? Because he says that pictures have mass; they 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 consist of energy. They're they're created by, uh, you know, or they exist because there's a little bit of energy in each picture. Um, now, this stuff breaks down again, uh, again, I will just say, all of this stuff breaks down pretty quickly uh, when you start applying some, some critical thinking to it, right? Not, I'm not saying all this stuff because it all makes total sense or is logically consistent, um, but this is what he was saying, right? So he said there was some kind of picturology or something that existed back in the day, way, way, way back, that, um, that Thetans would just have you know, chains of pictures ripped from them, and this was supposed to be some kind of, a, this was supposed to have therapeutic value, right? And, uh, and so that's the only, I think that was the only one he said that I recall where, where there was a specifically somebody was trying to do something to help Thetans out, right? Uh, but otherwise, there hasn't been anything like Scientology before. So to get back to your question directly, there isn't anything to remember or recall from an earlier life experience that would be Scientology, okay? Um, Hubbard and the Sea Org and Scientology in general, 
use this idea that you've lived countless numbers of lives in the past. I mean, nearly an infinite number of lives when you look at the fact that it's trillions of years. Um, you've lived all these lives in the past and therefore there's nothing new under the sun, right? You've done everything thousands and thousands of times over. You've been a housewife, you've been a corporate exec, you've been a movie star, you've been an artist, you've been a race car driver. Like there's no profession or, or thing or hobby or activity you're going to engage in uh, other than Scientology, right? There's the gotcha, um, that is new right, that you haven't done before countless numbers of times. So this is used in Scientology as a discouragement from doing something else other than Scientology, right? It's a, it's a logical argument that they make to uh, mostly new parishioners, by the way, when they are recruiting them to be on staff or join the Sea Org. That's mainly where this gets used, right? This isn't really, this gets used sometimes when they're uh, regging people or you know, selling people for, for donations. Um, if somebody says, well, look, I don't want to give my money to the church because I've saved it for college or I've saved it for a house or I've saved it for this or that. Sometimes the salespeople will go in on that and go, well, you've had houses before or, well, you've gone to college before or college is, you know, how many times do you have to go to college on your, on your whole track, right? Meaning all the time you've lived before. Um, you know, you've done all that before. What you need to do is invest in yourself, which is investing in Scientology. And that will regain, you know, you'll thereby regain all of your uh, memories from, you know, all your past lives. And, and it's funny that this actually doesn't get used more, if you think about it, right? Because if Scientology really worked, which it doesn't, but if it did, and if you could gain back you know, all the memories that you had from all the past lives that you've had, or even a, a fraction of the past lives that you've had, even a small, you know, 0.0001% of all the lives you've led, right? You would have skill, you'd have mad skills. You'd be able to do anything. Uh, you know, play piano, play musical instruments, act, you know, to, to fly planes, you know, come up with new inventions. I mean, there'd be, this, this, it would seem that the sky would be the limit. And yet, how many Scientologists are, are inventing the internet? You know, <laughs> how many Scientologists are coming up with the next big thing? None of them, right? Uh, so, you know, again, it's just another proof that it's all kind of a sham, but you would, you know, and, and I, I, that's probably why they don't push it so hard. <laughs> Right within the world of Scientology that you, you know, you're going to go in session and you're going to get all these past life memories back and you're going to be able to do all these amazing things. They don't push that line because, of course, it's demonstrably true that nobody's doing that. So that hasn't been in a, a, a real solid effect of Scientology. Gary Page. In the Catholic Church, canonization does not create a saint, but only recognizes officially that someone was a saint all along. In Scientology, when someone is declared a suppressive person, is the process similarly recognizing officially that the person was an SP all along? If so, study tech was invented by SPs, being in fact the creation of two Scientologists who were subsequently declared. In like manner, at least one of the upper OT levels was written by an SP, David Mayo. Leaving aside how Hubbard could know that 2.5% of the population at large are SPs, one has the impression with the blizzard of SP declares among ex-Scientologists 
that the percentage of latent SPs in the church is far higher than 2.5%. Can we put a ballpark figure on this actual percentage? If it is indeed much higher, how is this explained inside the church? Presumably not because the church is naturally attractive to criminals. Okay, so uh, the way that it goes is yes, a person who is declared a suppressive person was always a suppressive person. When Hubbard first started talking about suppressive people or antisocial personalities back in the mid-60s, he said that it was a technical problem. In other words, it was a problem that could surrender to auditing and that Hubbard had developed a series of processes that could handle uh, you know, why a person was antisocial. And this was, you know, if, if true, this would be a break, you know, breakthrough of magnitude because it means that serial killers and, and uh, you know, serial criminals and, and people who are, you know, uh, doing the world in could be handled by doing these Scientology processes on them. I mean, this would be huge. This would be a, a, an, a, the biggest breakthrough in psychology that's, that's, ever, that's ever happened. Uh, well, of course, Hubbard doesn't have that, but he, you know, said that he did. And then, of course, he promptly made it confidential. These processes are part of the power processes, uh, which I've talked about before and which are confidential levels that are part of the uh, alternate clear route now, right? If you don't go clear with Dianetics, then you do power, power plus, and these other services in order to become clear. But Hubbard said that a, that a side effect of one of these processes or, or an unintended consequence of one of these processes or a, a couple of the processes is that you could handle an antisocial personality. So, um, so that was part of the original claim with suppressive people and, and, and talking about suppressive people. But Hubbard also said these people are so bad and horrible and evil and are trying to do the world in at such a mad rate that he wasn't really super interested in trying to handle them with his advanced technology. And so Scientology was not going to engage in kind of any kind of effort to rid the world of these antisocial personalities. Um, that's, uh, you know, says volumes about Hubbard's true humanitarian objectives. Uh, he didn't have any, you know, when it comes to saving the world or actually clearing the planet or making the world a better place. Um, one of many proofs of that, you know, when you actually critically examine Hubbard's track record and claims through the years, you find that he was uh, making, you know, gigantic claims a, a couple times about being able to handle psychosis and, and evil intentions and, and antisocial personalities, and yet did absolutely nothing to get that information out to people who would actually be interested in doing something with that. Right? Maybe Scientology doesn't have to do it, but let's give that information over to criminal rehab therapists or psychology or something like that, right? And say, hey, look, we've cracked it. We cracked, we, we got it. We figured it out, right? No, we're not going to do anything like that. So, you know, hypocrisy as far as I'm concerned. Now, <clears throat> that being said, um, that is why a suppressive person um, you know, has always been a suppressive person. Uh, if if a person is truly suppressive in this way, right? In other words, if if this is all true, and it is a condition that a person has had, and Hubbard said that the condition comes from something that happened way long ago, right? I love the way that I point over here, over here to point, you know, long ago, right? As time's the linear. Anyway, um, 
if it happened long ago, some incident happened, some horrible, awful thing happened where the person got stuck in this, in this incident where they were being attacked or overwhelmed. They were overwhelmed by the enemy, basically. And, um, and I don't know, there must be something else more tricky to it than that. But basically, he said that, um, that a person was, was completely, thoroughly overwhelmed. Like, let's say they were, you know, fighting on a, on a, in a musket line or something, and they're, and they're shooting, and they run out of bullets, and here comes the enemy, and they're charging, and here come the bayonets, you know, and, uh, and they get overwhelmed, and they, and they get stuck at this point in time. Okay, and the reason they're antisocial is because they are so stuck in this violent, overwhelming incident that they now can't move forward in time as far as how they're perceiving the world. So everyone around them is a person with a bayonet sticking them, right? If they're stuck in this incident I just talked about, right? Or everybody is an FBI agent, or everybody is, you know, an alien trying to kill them. And that's how they see the world. And that's why they act the way they do, right? They, they are trying to destroy everything around them because they think everybody around them is trying to destroy them. And so that's why this power processing would work to un, you know, to pull the person out of this stuck incident that they are trapped in, right? And that is Hubbard's explanation for uh, suppressive people, right? So, of course, this would be a condition that you would be stuck in, you know, your whole life. You'd be born into having this condition. You'd, you'd be living life after life after life stuck in this thing that happened thousands or millions of years ago. Um, so, Hubbard said that because they learn, you know, as they grow in, in, in life, you know, you get a new body and you grow up and, and based on, you know, wherever you're born or whatever, you're going to learn, uh, learn a language and learn education and learn, you know, you're going to learn socially, you're going to learn some stuff, you're going to learn how to kind of get along with people, but you're always going to be seeing them through this like crazy veil, right? So, um, so that's how SPs can ingratiate themselves into situations socially and look like they have friends and look like they, you know, maybe even have spouses and kids and all this stuff. But inside, they're mad. You know, they're just absolutely nuts. So, um, so that's why they're always, they've always been SPs. And as far as the percentages of them, I don't know. You know, I don't know any way that you could actually determine how many SPs have been in Scientology because... I don't have a census figure for how many Scientologists total there have been. I have an estimate, um, you know, out of my own education and background with it, but I can't say for sure. So it would be kind of silly of me to throw percentages around. Um, you know, two and a half is as good as any other number, but um, but I think. But in terms of how many people have come into Scientology and been declared and kicked out, yeah, probably more than two and a half percent. And Scientologists, if they thought about this at all, and they don't, but if they did, if you were to sit a Scientologist down and go, dude, there seem to be a lot of SPs getting into Scientology and getting kicked out and now speaking out against it and all this kind of stuff, what's the deal? If you were to actually get a Scientologist to answer that question, they would probably say that the reason there are more SPs connected with Scientology is because those SPs think that because they're trying to destroy everything around them and because they're basically evil, operating on evil intentions, 
they try specifically to take out Scientology because Scientology is the only thing that can undo a suppressive person, right? It's the only thing that can undo all their work. <laughs> so that's why Scientology becomes a target for suppressive people, and that's why more suppressive people would come after Scientology than you would see suppressive people come after the Boy Scouts or come after the you know GOP or something, right? Uh, that's why. That's what they would say. So there you go. Nicoloya. Is one able to use past life crimes to explain one's crimes in this life? Oh yeah, absolutely. In the same vein that I was just mentioning about SPs, that same kind of thing applies to regular non-SPs too, in that, I'm not, I don't mean that, that everybody's stuck in some incident in the past, but uh, here's the theory in Scientology on criminality is that criminality stems from evil intentions or evil purposes. Hubbard uh, was big on the idea that decisions that a person made in the past could stick with them and influence them through life after life after life into the future, um, you know, all the way up to the present. Uh, <laughs> how's that for a little tense madness? Um, so you could have, let's say, okay, here's how it, here's how it breaks down, is you have a person who um, back in the day, like, like let's say a thousand years ago or 10,000 years ago or 20 million years ago, it doesn't really matter. Um, they were minding their own business, walking down the street, doing whatever. And, um, and something really, the way this, the way Hubbard explains this is something really, really confusing happened. The person got locked into a confusion. And I don't mean a confusion like they you know, couldn't read a billboard or something. I mean something really messing with their life, right? Um, like, let's say they were getting called in for a tax audit. <laughs> and um, this has nothing to do with Xenu, okay? I'm just, I just the thought of this. But let's say they get called in for a tax audit and the, and the tax auditor, um, you know, is lying to them about how much they owe the government and is gonna bankrupt them and is gonna ruin their life, right? And the person gets really confused about this. I mean, really upset, right? And, and like, why is this happening to me? And oh my God, my life is, is falling apart. And it's like, it's, it's important, right? It's a significant confusion. That confusion, from that confusion, the person could decide to do something really bad. <clears throat> Uh, and this is, and these confusions are where these evil intentions or evil purposes spring from. Is the person decides as a as a solution to this problem that they are faced with that they're going to blow up the IRS building or they're going to kill the IRS agent or something, right? And so they come up with a an evil purpose to destroy the 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 tax system or to destroy the government, okay? Um, we're just, I'm just going to wipe out the government. And he, and he goes and he, and he, you know, his life is in shambles. He's in ruins. He's got nothing to lose. And he just decides, he makes this very hard decision that the down with the government, right? And he goes and he purchases some explosives and he blows up IRS offices all over the, the country until they catch him and kill him, right? Um, so that would be an evil purpose that this person decided, they made a, an active knowing decision to do that. And Hubbard said that that purpose will stick with the person and they will act on that purpose in their next life and their next and their next because that decision was so strong 
because the confusion that, that, that created it was so strong. I mean, it ruined the person's life, right? And so this person will act on this evil purpose. And over the course of all these trillions of years that we've lived, there have been thousands of these evil purposes that a person has come up with because over the course of all this time, you're going to run into life-altering confusions and problems, and you're going to make bad decisions based on that, and those decisions are going to stick with you. These are called, I use the word decision, but in Scientology, the word that's used is postulate. It's a postulate, and a postulate is a, is a firm, self-determined decision that a person makes in order to create something or make something happen or decide on something is a, is a simple explanation for it. Hubbard, Hubbard describes a lot of magical powers to postulates, right? He says that the only reason the physical universe exists is because we're postulating it. We're, we're deciding that it exists every moment that we are living as Thetans, we are deciding, we're all agreeing that the physical universe is a thing and that it has reality. And because we're all deciding that, it has reality, right? And that's as real as the physical universe is. So that's the power of postulates. But because we are so inured to the physical universe, we're so used to it and we're so mired down by it and we're so heavily in agreement with it, we can't just decide, oh, it doesn't exist anymore, and it goes away. It's too, it, you know, there's, we've decided too hard on this particular postulate. Well, it's the same thing for these individual postulates of behavior that we've made that Hubbard calls evil purposes. So these evil purposes are something that we carry around with us, and it requires special auditing called false purpose rundown auditing in order to find these evil purposes and root them out and, and you know, sort of pull them out, you know, at the roots and, and, and do away with them. And through this false purpose rundown auditing, you find all these evil purposes and you, and you no longer have them after you've, you know, found the confusion that they sprung from. You... You know, you rip out the evil purpose and you no longer have that evil purpose. You no longer have to act on it. And this is uh, the theory that underlies the whole RPF program. And, and this is why I spent a thousand hours of my life auditing out all my evil purposes, right? I, hundreds of them, right, that I got rid of on the RPF. And that's why I'm such a good person. <laughs> so anyway, um, that's the theory of it. And that is why the answer to your question is yes, the past misdeeds of a person uh, act now to have them continue to uh, perform or carry out misdeeds because they're compelled to because they've done it in the past. Justine Salisbury, in Critical Q&A video number 80, you mentioned that the Golden Age of Tech began in 1996. What is the difference between the Golden Age of Tech, Golden Age of Knowledge, and the Golden Age of Tech Phase 2? Was Tech Phase 2 the year when the basics were released, 2007? Are the Golden Age of Tech and the Golden Age of Knowledge the same thing? Hey, Justine. Uh, no, these are different things. Um, and this is just internal Scientology rah-rah, really. Uh, in 1996, David Miscavige came up with a program, an international training program called the Golden Age of Tech. And what he did was he revised how Scientology training is done everywhere. And it involved, whereas before, I'm not going to get into all the little minutiae of this, because it's, 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 but it's pervasive. But um, basically, prior to 1996, you'd come in and you'd do a course where you would study the theory of the course. You'd listen to lectures, read books. You would do drills on how to audit, right? I'm talking about auditor training mostly here. 
Um, you know, so you would practice with somebody else in, in you know, w with a doll or something, you know, uh, auditing somebody. And then you would actually go audit somebody. And that was the sequence of training an auditor, right? Is a theory study, do some practical drilling, and then you actually go do it, okay? And, um, and this was a pretty standard way of making auditors. And it's, a, it's not a bad way of, of particularly training somebody on how to do something. It's, uh, you know, it's pretty much how training is done pretty much anywhere, right? You got to learn how to do it, practice it, then go do it. Well, Miscavige uh, altered all of this by creating new forms of drills that were far, far more extensive and demanding a level of, he raised the standard to not just can you do it or are you okay at it, but you have to be perfect at it, letter perfect in every action and, and small detail of auditing. So you do the theory study, but then you do this extensive series of drills that were, this is really what the Golden Age Tech was, was it was a release of all of these new kinds of drills. And, uh, and uh, these are drills where you're quizzed on the information that you have studied and you have to answer perfectly. And then you're drilled on how to do the procedures and you can't make one mistake. You keep drilling over and over and over again. Keep practicing how to audit until you don't, you're flubless. You're, you, you make no mistakes of any kind. And only then do you pass the drill. Well, predictably, this extended the length of time that took people to, to become auditors. He claimed in 1996, Miscavige claimed that this would speed up training, that everything would go so much faster and easier and it would be wonderful. Ah! And Scientology training was going to be, you know, the bomb diggity and everybody was going to do it and it was going to be wonderful. Well, the exact opposite happened and it ruined training. I mean, just totally screwed it up. And I know because I was over the training for the entire Western United States when this thing hit, right? I had been a supervisor in Santa Barbara. I had trained people for years. And then I'm the executive overseeing all the training for the entire West US as of 1995, that was my job. So 1996, this thing hits and suddenly there are no auditors being made anywhere. Like nobody can get through these courses, right? It's just taking months and months and months for them to even get through the most basic prerequisite courses, much less the actual auditor training, right? Like the course that trains a person how to use the e-meter. I mean, that thing was taking people years to get through because they had to be perfect on all these e-meter drills, right? Whereas before, it was, you know, you practice it, and you, hey, I, I feel good about this, I know how to do this, good, let's move on, right? No, that, that was no, now it had to be perfect, yeah, it had to be letter perfect, right? So, of course, it ruined training. Now, this was a real problem for Scientology internationally, because it changed the entire character of Scientology training. And suddenly, whereas before we had auditors, you know, everybody could be an auditor, it was easy to become an auditor. After 1996, it was impossible to become an auditor. And um, now whether Miscavige did this on purpose or not, I can't say, but it would be like him to totally screw up something. Uh, he, you know, he, he's, he's not a, a particularly brilliant person. Um, he's clever, right? And he's, and he's quite nefarious, but he's not, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't really think things through very well. Everything, he's kind of, 
well, no, I'm not even going to go there. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to say that Miscavige is not a good administrator. He is not a good technician. He's just not very good at, at much of anything except, you know, beating up on people. So, uh, so he, you know, so this, this totally messed up Scientology training and, and, it, and it made a lot of Scientologists very turned off from becoming auditors and, and wanting to train at all. And it, so, like I said, it really altered the whole character of Scientology as a, as a movement. So then in 2007, or I think it was actually a little earlier, but, but yeah, no, maybe 2007 is golden age of knowledge. Uh, and Miscavige kept pushing the rightness of the golden age of tech. And the only reason that it wasn't happening, the only reason auditors weren't being made, the only reason that you know Scientology wasn't taking off is because everybody was ruining it. He had the right idea, and the training was all perfect, and so everybody was just screwing it up. And it was all the staff members' fault, and all the Sea Org members' fault. It was not his fault, and it was not the fault of Scientology, right? So, it was all our fault, right? We were with all the SPs. So, uh, then, that kind of... Uh, got put by the wayside for a while, and um, and this supposed golden age did not happen at all. Uh, it was more like the you know iron age. <laughs> I don't know. It was it was bad. Uh, anyway, then comes the golden age of knowledge, and this was where all the basic books and lectures and things got revised and and changed around and and there are various reasons why but the bottom line is that all of these books were re-released with all these lectures that had never particularly seen the light of day before and this was supposed to be a uh you know a release of all of hubbard's lectures or at least his public lectures so there were thousands you know just tons of these lectures that got released as well as the revised books so this was supposed to create some kind of renaissance in Scientology, and everybody was forced to go back and reread all the books. And in many cases, people hadn't read all the books in the first place. So you know, it was a big, there was this big thing to get everybody to read all the books and listen to all these lectures. And this would be a major, you know, um, I mean, it was a great distraction from the fact that auditor training had just been utterly sabotaged, right? So now everybody's going to do this. Now they're really going to understand Scientology and they're really going to understand L. Ron Hubbard and they're really going to understand the whole subject. And this is going to be amazing. And this is why it was going to create this golden age of knowledge. Okay, so then in 2012 um, was golden age of tech phase two where, you know, what was that? Uh, 12, 16 years after, you know, the golden age of uh, annihilation with from 1996, he decides to fix some things. And so the metering course got revised and drills changed a little bit and, and, this, and, and the entire bridge was sort of revised, right? And now it's, now, and this was sort of, uh, there were a lot of changes, okay? Again, far too many to enumerate here. But the Golden Age Tech Phase 2 was an effort to correct some of the errors that Miscavige had made back in 1996, okay? It only took him 16 years to get around to this. And um, these changes were really a big no, no change, really. And there was a new meter that came out, and it's all digital. Ooh, look at the new meter. It's all flashy. Look at the flashy buttons. And, uh, and really, it was just a very superficial change, really. There was not a lot of stuff that, that changed. There was another device that came out that could record 
the, 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 the meter, the movement of the meter dial and the, the auditor's voice. And you could record this whole thing so you could play it back. And you could, and this was supposed to handle the fact that people were screwing up on the, on the metering, right? And, uh, and there were some other, you know, again, pretty superficial changes made to the training lineup. What, you know, if, if Miscavige was really serious about making, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of auditors and making Scientology make it, then he would have just canceled all of his bullshit and gone back to how it was being done before. Because, uh, you know, auditor training used to be really easy. And anyway, uh, now it's not. And that is what the golden age of tech and golden age of knowledge were all about. <sighs> there you go. Aftershock Earthbound. I have watched several others who are doing videos speaking out about the church, and it sounds to me that much of the problem seems to be David Miscavige playing games and turning things into what L. Ron Hubbard never intended. Do you think things really went downhill after he took over, or am I misinterpreting the things I am reading between the lines? No, you're not misinterpreting things. Things did go downhill badly after Miscavige. However, and this is important, this is not to say that things were all hunky-dory and wonderful under L. Ron Hubbard. And that is the mistake a lot of ex-Scientologists make, is they don't examine the facts of what I say a lot of ex-Scientologists, I really shouldn't say a lot, because most people who come out of Scientology do get the facts and do see that Hubbard was full of shit too, and they just abandon the whole thing. Some people refuse to look at the facts about L. Ron Hubbard, and so they carry the torch for Hubbard as though he was the good guy and he was the you know, uh, wonderful person, uh, you know, who wanted everybody to, you know, have a great life, and Scientology was flourishing under L. Ron Hubbard, and David Miscavige just came along and ruined everything because he's just a big SP. You know, no, that's not really the case. It's not, it's not a black and white thing, okay? Hubbard was bad, Miscavige is worse, okay? And Miscavige was made the way that he is, do a lot to the influence of L. Ron Hubbard because Miscavige was around L. Ron Hubbard for his later years and Hubbard was not a nice guy in his later years. He was going crazy and he was, uh, he, he victimized his messengers. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, uh, of stuff you can read about this, but he, Hubbard was a nasty, mean-spirited, old, cranky guy who died, you know, uh, crazy. I mean, he was losing his mind. And he was taking this out on his messengers, and David Miscavige was one of his messengers. And Miscavige learned early on um, about, you know, how to manipulate people around him using Hubbard as a, you know, as a sounding board and using Hubbard as a, a model, rather, I should say. Uh, not a sounding board, but as a model uh, for his own behavior. And he learned how to game the system, uh, you know, within the Scientology world, and he took over. So, and Miscavige was, I don't know whether he was a true believer in Scientology or not back then, but he sure doesn't look like he is now. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier in this episode here, he's a horrible administrator, horrible executive, and, um, and not a good technician, right? And he's not good with, uh, with Scientology. So he just kind of is running the whole thing into the ground. Right, and and it didn't. the The funny thing about all this, and I've said this, I said this once long ago, is is it didn't have to go this way. You know, there's no reason that Scientology had to go the authoritarian, dictatorial, horrible route that it went. 
you know, uh, Hubbard wrote these ethics policies and these disconnection policies and stuff in the 60s. But all of those policies could have been sort of devalued and put on the shelf and sort of, well, yeah, but, you know, those are kind of extreme circumstances and we don't really practice. You know, they could have, they could have turned, they could have changed how Scientology was done in the 1980s after Hubbard died. They could have really, you know, made it a, a, a kinder, more beneficent sort of a thing if kinder, more beneficent people had put in charge of it, right? Uh, but instead, Miscavige was put in charge of it, and he's used all of Hubbard's extremist policies to the nth degree to enrich himself and make everybody around him miserable and uh, basically run riot over anybody else so that he lives the good life and everybody else, you know, just kind of has this sucky life. And because, he, because he's fooled enough people into thinking that he is Scientology personified, they follow him, right? And this is not, I mean, there's plenty of models in history to look at as to how people get fooled by this stuff. I mean, it's not like Scientologists are some special breed of stupid, right? I mean, there's all kinds of people who are in the world today who should not have any followers at all, but they got thousands, millions of followers, right? And and I'm talking about it politically, religiously, like all over uh, different groups all over the world, right? I'm not singling anybody out here. So, um, you know, just get, people get kind of stupid when they come to following leaders sometimes, and that's just kind of how it goes. So Miscavige has a particular evil streak in him, and he has managed to uh, undo a lot of goodwill and undo a lot of um, uh, people's good intentions with Scientology and make it out to be the worst possible interpretation of Scientology scriptures that you could have. Doesn't mean that it had to go that way, but it did. So there you go, and that's, uh, that's my take on Miscavige versus Hubbard. They were both bad guys, and Miscavige um, has, uh, didn't have Hubbard's flair for marketing and PR, particularly. He's got some flair for it, kind of the only real flair that he has, but, he, but it wasn't really, he's not you know, any match for Hubbard. And so that's, you know, that's kind of where, why Scientology is tanking as hard as it is now. And there you go. It is time for Flash Answers. Mark P. I was mission staff while in high school and only worked in the evenings. Missions were more lax in some things. My question is, was 2 p.m. Thursday local time or GMT St. Hill time? No, Thursday 2 o'clock is local time. That's how orgs count their end of the week is Thursday 2 o'clock, their time. CT. A lot of mud is being slung by Mark Rathbun's weird anti-anti-Scientology cult cult. They keep referring to Tony Ortega as Backpage Tony and are actively accusing him of child sex crimes. Is there any truth to this or is this just another typical example of smear tactics used by the Church of Scientology and their latest minion? Oh yeah, between you and Aaron, who could dunk the most basketballs in five minutes? Okay, yeah, it's utter nonsense. Uh, Tony never had anything to do with, uh, you know, child sex crimes or anything like that. That is total hypo you know, nonsense, not hypocrisy, but nonsense coming out of, uh, well, there is some hypocrisy to that too. Uh, anyway, coming out of the Church of Scientology and these idiots who follow Mark Rathbun uh, fall for it and, you know, whatever. And as far as uh, dunks go, I can't dunk a ball at all, so I'm pretty sure Aaron could totally ace me on that one. Mary Beth Wiley. 
Are you aware during an auditing session when forced to look at past lives that you are making something up to appease the auditor or do you feel that what you are making up is a true memory? It goes both ways. It depends on the circumstances and situation, but I think, I think most of the time people convince themselves that what they're making up is true. Um, I, that's kind of the Scientology mindset is, you know, well, it's probably true because again, you know, millions of years, everything's happened to you. So anything you can imagine is probably true. But, um, but you know, there are some times when you know you're just making shit up because you just want to get the hell out of the auditing session. So it goes both, you know, it depends on the circumstances and the person. Okay, everybody, that's our show for this week. Thank you very much for coming around. Consider joining me on Patreon, and thank you very much for all of your feedback, commentary, questions that you are going to leave for me below in the comment section to this video. Uh, I will talk at you again next week. Bye-bye.